would for those that want to you don't have to because I'm not going to make you do anything but for those that would like to stand as we read the scriptures this morning um, in my Bible it says the resurrection we are in the gospel of John Matthew Mark Luke and John chapter 20 and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 10 reading out of the ESV this is what it says the resurrection story now on the first day of the week Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Thank you. You may be seated. Amen. What are you thinking, babe? So stuff downstairs. So if you want, we do going to have some stuff set up downstairs for... Uh, Kiddos, if you want, we have the stuff piped down there, too. Is it whatever you guys make it easy. If not, you're more than welcome to hang out up here. Um, all right. So we love, uh, I think what's so awesome I love is to celebrate what Jesus has done, right? His resurrection. And I, I liked that story and wanting to start with that story because I think it's, it's something that's interesting that as, as we, we all come from different backgrounds, we all come from different places, and I, I love how Easter is the one thing that we celebrate. But at the time, for everybody that was a part of this story, this was like chaos, right? It was a time where they had, like, there was so much stuff going on, right, for his disciples. I, I tried to just sometimes, when I'm reading a story, I just try to put myself in it. And so if you think about it, like, if we're imagining this story, the feast of Passover had just ended, but this one was very different because... Jesus has died, like their friend, their hope. He had died, like died on Friday. They're celebrating, and there's this lingering angst or sadness that's there. He'd been executed, and due to the feast, they weren't able to give him proper burial. So, of course, first moment they can, at its first thing in the morning, these women, we, we have four by name, Mary Magdalene, another Mary Salome and Joanna, they all came. And there could have been more, but we, we, those four were given us, to us. Now, these women were interesting because they were disciples of Jesus. And most of them were supporting Jesus financially, like supporting the ministry. We know that for sure for Mary Magdalene. And I think also, uh, I think jo Joanna and Salome. Like, 
these women cared for Jesus. And so the first moment they get, they go to the tomb because they want to give him a proper burial. But they get there, the stone's rolled away. They don't remember that part. There's these angels that are hanging out. The tomb's empty. And these angels tell these women, they say, Jesus is risen. He is not here. Go tell the disciples, the other disciples, go tell them that I'll meet him in Galilee. And so they leave, they go back, they tell him, Peter and John don't really believe him, and so they take off and have a race. And I love John's passage because John wrote it. So John's like, I beat Peter to the tomb, <laughs> right? But he gives Peter a little credit. He's like, but Peter got into the, he actually went into the tomb. I stopped, right? Like, I love these aspects because it was written by human beings. Um, and John's like, yeah, I'm faster than Peter. So he gets to the tomb. They get there. They go in. They believe. And something that's interesting, it says they, they didn't understand, though. Right? So even as everything's going on, they still have no idea really what's going on. None of them expected this because if you spend any time over the last three, four months as we've been kind of going through the story of God, what they expected, what the disciples expected was that when the Messiah was to come, he was going to come and conquer Rome and he was going to free them from their oppression, from their enslavement essentially to Rome. He was going to physically conquer them and then restore Israel to its previous glory. And the son of David, the Messiah, would sit on the throne and would rule. That was their expectation. And so many of them, as they come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, followed him. They devoted their whole life to him. They reoriented everything around this belief that the Messiah would come and save them in a very specific way. And then he died. Like that wasn't even on the realm of possibility. Imagine what's going through their mind. Doubt, hopelessness, regret, shame for some of them like Peter. Sorrow, like confusion. They had come to believe something about Jesus. They reoriented their whole life around this idea of who they thought Jesus was, and their conclusions about him were wrong. Like, it was just wrong. They they totally missed it, but it didn't change who Jesus was. Their conclusions may have been wrong, but Jesus was still who he was, and he was better than they realized. He was better than they could have even imagined. He was better than a physically conquering king. He was saving the whole world. And I was thinking about that, and I go, man, I have so many conversations with people, and I too at times have come to believe different things about God. And here's the reality. What I believe about God and how I believe God views me matters. It matters. And some of these might be familiar, but I'm trying to think through all the stuff. Like, I talk to so many people, and at times I hear things like God is distant, God is harsh, God is disappointed, God is mad, God doesn't really care. While others I'll talk to kind of have this idea that, it's, that God places the full responsibility on us as human beings to figure him out and to find him and to understand these things. And there's no room for doubt. 
when do we ever feel like we have it figured out? And I'll have conversations and I'll hear stuff like this idea that, that following God is about me being better and doing better. And when I, do go, when I do good, God is happy with me. And when I don't do good, God is angry and disappointed at me. I wonder where I feel like I'm doing enough. I've heard it put this way too. It's like I'm on a treadmill and I can never get off. I'm working my tail off but making no progress. Right? I'm not going anywhere. But what if the God that we see in the Bible is different than those perceptions and those ideas of God? What if we see something different? And so today, I want to look at three interactions that Jesus has with people that had devoted their lives to him, people that had followed him. The risen Jesus, the risen Lord, right? The reason why that's important is, that is the, that's who's on the throne right now. I think sometimes when, when I would look at Jesus as the human being, I'm like, well, that makes sense because he's human. But this risen Jesus is a little something different, and we don't have a lot of interaction with him. But there's conversations that took place, and I found very, very fascinating these are three conversations with people that were struggling with doubt and disappointment and sadness and shame, people like us. And hopefully these three little stories will show us an aspect of Jesus that we maybe had not seen before. So the first one is, the, is in John chapter 21, right after the part that Derek read. John 20, 11. It says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and she had wept and as she wept and stooped down and looked in the tomb, she saw two angels in white sitting at the, where the body of Jesus was laying, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken my Lord, and I don't know where they laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't recognize him. She didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing that he was the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you've laid him. I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Don't cling to me. I have not ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to, the, to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went out and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. And so as John and Peter race back to the tomb, Mary follows him, probably not running as fast. And they take off. They see it's empty. They take off. And she stays there, and she's weeping. She's crying. Obviously, she had lost her friend. See, Jesus had set her free from demons, it says in Luke chapter 7. And she began to follow him after that point and support him financially and all these other things. And what's interesting with, is that Jesus was somebody that, that saw her and gave her value and loved her. Like in this culture, we've talked about this before, but women had pretty much no value in the social, social order, right? The fact that Jesus revealed himself to the women first, and that's in all the gospels, that they're the witnesses of the risen Jesus, wouldn't even have held up in a court of law. And so here you have this woman that is an outcast, really, she's possessed, and Jesus heals her and brings her in and gives her a place, gives her value in his new kingdom, which is very different than what they experienced. And now she's, she's experiencing deep loss. This, this man that really changed her life is gone, 
And, she, and although the angels are telling her, listen, he's risen, she will not believe it. She's like, his body is stolen. Even when she went back and told the disciples, his body is stolen. She's having a hard time. She's trying to find Jesus. And she sees the burial cloth. She sees the head cloth folded. And she still doesn't believe. Because what she'd understand about Jesus, it didn't add up. It didn't fit the mold of what she'd been told he was supposed to fit into. What she'd been taught about the Messiah. And I love this. We see Jesus comes to her. Essentially, Jesus finds her. Where she was looking for him, he finds her. And she asks him, of course, thinking he's the gardener. And and Jesus says one thing to her. He just says, Mary. Right? He says, Mary. He says her name. Probably in a familiar way. Because she had a friendship with him. He said Mary in a way that the, only Jesus probably said it, right? Like, and, I, and I, I've mentioned this before, but I find it just, it blows my mind, that, my mind that Jesus revealed himself in a very relational aspect, very relational way, because he had a, she was a friend. And despite her doubt, he didn't be like, I can't believe I've told you, I'm, I'm resin. He just says Mary, and she, she, our eyes are open, and she sees him as he is. This is how Jesus interacts. Jesus talks about himself being the good shepherd. And I can't, don't have time to get in it, but in John chapter 10, Jesus is talking about how he leads his sheep. What's so amazing about how Jesus leads, I know, it's hard, sweetie. She's such a cutie pie. How Jesus leads his sheep is something that's so fascinating to me. You know, when I, I, I'm not a shepherd, okay? Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. I'm not a shepherd. Like, I, I don't understand, I didn't understand how it operated. You know, I kind of thought a shepherd was sort of like maybe a cattle herder, right? Like, running over here, smacking that one, running over here, smacking this one, right? You're trying to herd the sheep, but that is not how shepherds function. Shepherds talk, and the sheep follow. They become so familiar with the shepherd's voice that they follow him. And it says in John that when they hear somebody else, they will not follow him because they do not know their voice. He calls the sheep by name, talking about Jesus being the good shepherd. And I found that fascinating, that the more we become familiar with Jesus, the more we become familiar with his voice, it's easier to follow him. He's not not driving us forward. He's leading us, and we're listening and following him. And and it's, it's fascinating because sheep are such terrible little creatures in regards to, like, being obedient, and they go all over the place, and they get themselves in trouble. They're just not very smart, and I think it's fair that we often can be described that way. And yet, our loving shepherd guides us and leads us just by calling us by name, as he did with Mary. And then the second, the second story is the travelers. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all of the things that had happened. And while they're talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went to them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you guys are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still. 
looking sad. And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers um, delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it's now the third day since these things. Moreover, some women for our company amazed us. They said that the tomb, they were at the tomb in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that he had seen visions of angels and said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses with, and all the prophets, he interpreted them, all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And so they drew near to the village which they were going, and he acted as if they were going, he was going further. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it's, in, um, it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And he went and stayed with them. And when they were at the table, he took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn while he talked with us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those that were with them together. And they said, The Lord has risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. And then they told what happened on the road and how, he'd made, how he was known to them by breaking of bread. We have these travelers. They're leaving Jerusalem. Okay? It, it's implying that they're going home. Right? Like, they're done. They're confused, they're very disappointed, and they're walking and they're processing, right? Like, they have seven miles, it's a, they're going on foot, and they're like, man, like, what in the heck happened? They're, it says they're looking sad, we can see they're super disappointed. Um, I think verse 21 sums it up, it says, they, they tell, they're telling Jesus this, they have no idea it's Jesus, and they said, but we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. Like, it didn't work out. They too had come to believe something about God, about Jesus. They too thought he was going to conquer and restore Israel, and it didn't happen. Jesus was still the Savior. Like, what they came to believe him as the Savior, like, he was the Savior, but how he was going to go about it was different. It was better. And I love how Jesus, like, he pursues them, right? Like, they're experiencing doubt, disappointment, and, and it's not like, fine, you're abandoning me, go. No, he gets on the road and walks to them, kind of sneaks up on them. And I love how he messes with them a little bit. They're like, what are you guys discussing? And they're like, Jesus of Nazareth, you heard about him? And he's like, no, you know, tell me about it. They're like, are you the only one? And he's like, yeah, I'm the only one. And he listens to them, and he hears where they're at. And then he opens Scripture, and he tells everything about himself from Moses to the prophets. Like, I wish I had that book. What an amazing book it would be. 
But yet, they get to the table. He, you know, he pretends he's going to go on. They're like, no, stay with us tonight. And he's around the table, and he breaks bread, and then their eyes opened up around the table. He broke bread. He must have done it in a way that he always had done it. It was familiar. And it was at the table in this moment of like, like we've talked about before, like around the table was very intimate. It was very relational. It was in this moment as he's breaking bread that they're like, oh, it's Jesus, right? Obviously, something looked different about Jesus. Mary didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him right away. But yet, his manners, something about him was familiar. He reveals himself again in a relational way. And we see that it was so impactful that they left and they went back to Jerusalem and they found the disciples. Which leads to our third story. John chapter 21. I'm not going to read all of it, but I will summarize it for you. So Jesus tells the women, hey, go tell the disciples, I'll meet him in Galilee. And Jesus had revealed himself a couple other times but he goes to uh, Galilee is the big one where he kind of really reveals himself to the disciples. And so they go there, and our very first week, we actually, this is one of the things I talked about, but I still, still absolutely love this story. The disciples are there, and Galilee was home in Capernaum for most of the disciples. Over at least four of them were commercial fishermen. And they're there, and they go back, this is home, and we see that they immediately kind of go back and start fishing. And whether it was just for fun, I don't think it was, because they went out with nets, it was commercial fishing. It was almost that they're like, I guess we can always go back to fishing, right? And they had the same success we see throughout Scripture, and that is all night they caught nothing, right? They were bad at it, which is sad, but they were, right? It was just the life that they lived. And of course, Jesus, it says, is in the morning. He's on this, the beach, and he says to them, I really think Jesus had an awesome sense of humor. He says, hey, did you guys catch anything? And they're like, no. He's like, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And they did. And they caught more fish than they probably ever had caught, so much so that the boat began to sink. And John says, it's the Lord. And Peter jumps in, right, and swims ashore. But again, we see Jesus revealed himself to them in a very relational way. See, that was the same experience they had when they, first, when they first came and followed Jesus. When they first called him to follow him, that was the miracle that he called him to. Like this was the first interaction when he said, come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. It was the same miracle. This one was just bigger and better. That's why John's like, didn't even have to recognize him. He said, it's the Lord. And he did look different. If we were to read the whole passage, they were like, they're having breakfast with Jesus and they're like, but nobody asked whether it was him, right? There was something about him that they were like, I think this is him. It's pretty sure it's him. But here's what's crazy. And I think that with this idea of God being this relational God that pursues relationship, that wants to be known, that reveals himself, we can't leave this story without looking at how he interacted with Peter. You may remember, if you read this story ever, Peter screwed up pretty big, right? Like, they're sitting around a few nights before Jesus died, and Peter's like, and Jesus is like, you're all going to fall away. And Jesus, Peter's like, not me, man. 
even if all of they fall away, I will never deny you. I will never fall away. And Jesus is like, well, you're actually going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And he's like, no, ain't going to happen. And he does. In fact, um, I think it's in Luke. Peter denies to the servant girl Jesus, that he even knows Jesus three times, swears on it. And it says because he was in the same area that he was having his first kind of mock trial with the high priest, it says that Jesus looked at him. Like, he's like, I don't even know the man. And they make eye contact. And it says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. So here's Peter experiencing tons of shame. He messed up. He denied Jesus, right? This guy's been following for three years. If anybody feels outcast, it's this guy, and he hasn't had a moment to reconcile with Jesus. He hadn't had a chance to, like, make it right. I think we've all had interactions where people that we cared about, like, it's awkward and weird, and, like, you want it to be like it was, but you don't know if it ever will be. Like, there's a lot of that, right? Like, damage was done. And so John says it's the Lord, and no wonder Peter throws on his jacket and just jumps in the water, starts swimming, right? Like, maybe I can have this moment. Maybe if it's just a minute, I can have with Jesus. Like, and he gets there, and he really doesn't have time. Jesus is cooking breakfast. He's serving them breakfast. They're eating a meal. And then he it infers in this text that he kind of brings Peter, and they go for a walk. And it's on this walk, Peter knows what he did. Jesus knows what he did. And Jesus starts with, Peter, do you love me? I love that because it's almost of Jesus saying, Peter, I love you. Do you love me more than these? He actually says, do you love me more than these? And the word that Jesus used, you may have heard this before, is the word agape. It means I love you like unconditionally. Like there is no conditions it's a never-ending, always and forever love, okay? Peter, do you always and forever, never-ending love me more than these? And Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, but the word he uses is phileo, which is where we get the word Philadelphia. It's brotherly love, like this affection, right? Peter can't even say it, right? He can't even say what Jesus asked him. He's like, this is it. It's all I got. And that more than these could have been referring to the fish. It could have been referring to disciples because he said, if all of they, all of these deny you, I won't. So Jesus takes it down a notch. Okay, you may not love me more than these, but do you, Peter, agape me at all? And Peter responds the same way. Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo you. And then Jesus goes even farther. And he says, Peter, do you phileo me. It says Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, and he says, Lord, you know everything you know that I phileo you. It was as Jesus was saying, Peter, I love you. What do you have? What do you have? Like, can you, do you even like, do you even like me? Like, let's start somewhere. I'll take whatever. He didn't start with, Peter, you screwed up. You denied me. I told you so. You're a failure. All of these things that I think sometimes goes into our mind when we screw up. But his simple response was, I love you. You love me. 
What do you have? Where do you start? It wasn't about his performance and his failures and his sin. Jesus wanted Peter and he wanted his heart. And it reminds me of blind Barnabas also in John where he's calling out and Jesus, Jesus says, um, do you have faith you know, to be healed? And he goes, I believe, help my unbelief. Like God's desire isn't for us to have it all figured out and to have it all dialed. He's like, what do you have? And we see Jesus is willing to pursue. He's willing to pursue Mary in her doubt and in her mourning. He's willing to pursue these travelers on the road. He's willing to pursue. Jesus cared for his friends despite their doubt, despite their struggles, despite their shame. And he pursued them. Maybe in some ways you're connected with Mary, you've experienced loss, you're sad, you doubt, how could God be in this? Like Mary, he knows your name. He sees you. And he wants you to know him. Maybe you're like the travelers, you're disappointed with God. It didn't work out the way you thought. God didn't fit into the way you were told. And aspects like We've all been there, man. Like we've, or we've, I've come at times where I've seen like aspects about God that I've come to know and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have literally taught the opposite of this to people. Like how many people have I hurt in my process? And God was good. He reminded me that he's the one that opens the ears and opens the heart. And so he edits everything I say and everything you hear takes all the pressure off. But maybe you're like Peter. You've experienced some stuff. And maybe um, there's shame and all that other stuff. Jesus' posture is the same for you and for me. I mean, all of us have experienced some stuff. And there's always been time we've had shame. And Jesus' posture is the same. Is how far down do I need to pursue? How far down do I need to kneel to bring you up you can't love me that's fine what do you got because Jesus desires to be known by you just as he desires us to like know him he knows us right this is for people that are following Jesus and people that aren't like there's always moments where I forget that God desires to know me that I, I, I get back into my own mindset of, of this like slave driver demanding perfection. And that's not what we see in the Bible. That's not what we see in Scripture. Because at the end of the day, we have to come back, and this is what we're celebrating today, is that Jesus came into this broken world to rescue us. It was a rescue mission to save us. And what we need to be rescued from was ourselves because God being this holy and perfect God, not able really to be around sin, not because he didn't want to, but because his perfection and his glory would absolutely destroy it, laid out parameters for humans to have interaction with him, to have a relationship with him called a law, and it was really hard to follow, and it was definitely segmented, and there was, we might at one time, time a year have interaction with the God of the universe in this one room in the temple one time. And even in these laws, humans cannot live up to it. And God, in his goodness, came. But in humans breaking this law, they incurred a debt of that deserved death and that we essentially had to pay. 
And so Jesus coming and fulfilling the law and doing everything necessary to make it possible for us to be with the Father, he lived that perfect life. And then at the cross, he died and paid our sin so that we can stand before God faultless and fully loved and fully accepted. He tore the veil that was separating the Holy of Holies, saying we have full access to God. And then he rose, conquering death so that we could live. And to enter into that relationship is simply an invite. It's a handout saying, do you want this? And the beauty of it is, yes, it seems so easy because that's it. What about all the good stuff I got to do? That comes. Naturally. And unnaturally. But God changes us. We start wanting things that we never wanted for. We, want, we start seeing things in a way we never saw it before. His Holy Spirit enters into us and we start desiring to follow after God. And it's a process that ends the moment we see him face to face. We never arrive. But that's God's heart. That's God's heart for us as followers of him too, that we are reminded of his goodness and that when I come to him, I come only in Jesus. Jesus' blood, sacrifice, to follow the risen king that's on the throne today, that still has that same posture to us as he did to these individuals in the story.